0: of My Climate Diet, the podcast where I'm shedding the pounds of greenhouse gas emissions. I'm Lisa Pettibone, and I'm stuck at home. Germany has started another lockdown for the month of November, thanks to rising corona infections across the country that worryingly include my neighborhood in Berlin. That's why I've been gone for a while, sorry about that. Um, I've been working through some of the mental and emotional burden of the pandemic and the recent US election. I hope you've been well and not as depressed as I've been the last few weeks that I've been off, but it's been a real roller coaster ride for me. So, hopefully, as a bit of a final step in the process that I've been working through, I thought I would talk today about quarantine and lockdown and link them to climate action. But first, a little bit of background. So, I spent two weeks in October at a writing retreat in Greece. This was a trip that I booked in January, and something I did before our corona reality with a heavy heart. I mean, I host a podcast about the climate diet, so why would I fly at all, right? Well. A couple things kind of made me choose to go. First, my writing teacher was hosting, and I really wanted to work with her. And also, when I first booked the trip, I thought I could take a train at least one way. Little did I know. The only train opportunity would have been over 24 hours of travel, so I ended up flying both ways. For the first time in three years, I was on an airplane. The trip was amazing, but it also hammered home for me that I don't need to fly to have a good time. I spent as much time guilty that I had gone so far away from home, really for no reason, as I spent basking in the lushness and beauty of the Greek landscape. So it was very easy for me to say, hey, my next trip is going to be by train, even if it means I can't go on another writing retreat with these folks. Um, But stay tuned because I'm going to be talking about offsets in the very near future so that I can offset my 750 kilogram carbon emissions caused by that trip. But as I said, today I want to talk about the coronavirus, because we are now, in Germany at least, in the full flush of the second wave. In all my hesitation to go to Greece, I was focused on the infection rates there, which were high, but mostly in the cities. On the island where I was, a direct flight, there had been 10 total cases locked, mostly cruise ship tourists who didn't even land on the island. But kind of were first diagnosed closest to where I was. But while I was there, the infections in Germany exploded. Our lovely hosts started wearing masks. We were the threat. And we are a threat. I think about this a lot in the context of climate change, but with coronavirus, the rules are different. When I commit a climate sin, like flying, I can calculate my emissions. For this trip, I did it on co2.myclimate.org, where you can put in the airport that you take off and land in, and they'll give you a handy-dandy estimate of your carbon emissions from each flight. This helps me to convince others not to do it, or to offset the emissions that I cause. When I commit a corona sin, like not social distancing, I may never know the impacts of my behavior. I've read a lot about this in the Washington Post, about the teenager who tested negative for corona and then infected two dozen people at a family reunion, about the deaths caused by weddings or political events. What makes COVID-19 so dangerous is that so many people who get infected show no symptoms. These are precisely the people who continue with their daily lives, infecting others and causing the virus to spread much faster than if everyone were to get sick. So when I got back home, I spent 10 days quarantining from my family. Yes, you heard that right. I quarantined from my family. I ate meals socially distanced from my husband, who put a fan between us that blew all of my hair back at me even though he was also sitting six feet away. I didn't see my three-year-old for 10 days when I was in the apartment. It sucked. And it was probably overkill, but I'll never know because by quarantining, the virus that I may or may not have had died with me. I may be a hero, saving my family, the other families at my son's kita. Waiters and patrons at our favorite restaurants, maybe even a tourist who's about to go back to Australia and throw an enormous rager that would otherwise infect thousands. Or, I may not even have had coronavirus myself, and I spent 10 days locked in my bedroom for nothing, avoiding my son and causing him unknown trauma increasing my husband's workload and causing him extra stress because I couldn't take over childcare duties even though I was home. That's what sucks about coronavirus. But I have to say, what sucks even more is this. That there were other people on the retreat I was on, and they likely did not quarantine. That there are people taking unnecessary risks every day, traveling for fun, not social distancing, not washing their hands, and even spreading lies about this disease. And what really, really sucks is that those other people engaging in risky behavior increase the threat to everyone else, which is precisely what has happened here in Berlin. Since restrictions were eased over the summer, many people started engaging in risky behavior. Infections soared, and now we're in a lockdown that will likely last through the winter. It's gonna be a hard winter, but it's gonna be a lot harder if we make it so. By not taking simple and sane precautions, we're gonna cause this pandemic to get worse, causing more draconian lockdowns and sickness and death. So I've pledged not to take any more unnecessary travel and to wear a mask and social distance with people who aren't my family until the pandemic is over. Now that we have two vaccines that look very promising, I'm going to probably have to define that a little bit more clearly. Probably when I'm vaccinated or enough people in my community are vaccinated that the pandemic is essentially no longer a threat. A quarantine is something individuals can do, much like the climate actions I talk about on this podcast. If enough people do the right things, reduce unnecessary contact, engage in social distancing, wash their hands, wear masks, coronavirus goes from a global pandemic to a minor annoyance. It's when individuals don't do the right thing that the state has to intervene pass measures to make it harder, or even illegal to do the wrong thing. In the worst case, individuals fail to act, and government doesn't pick up the slack. Something we're seeing in the criminal lack of response in the United States. And this is where we're at with climate change. For decades, governments have known what action they needed to take to stave off crisis. As they failed to act, individuals, started taking action, reducing their own emissions and spreading the word about what others could do. But not enough of us are quarantining and too many of the most powerful are throwing super spreader events. In my climate analogy, this means expanding fossil fuel production, ginning up consumption of wasteful high carbon trash and muddying the water with misinformation about the threats we face and how to address them. So I guess what I'm saying is this. Yes, we need to do the right thing as individuals. But we also need to help or even force government to do the right thing as well. Because me quarantining can only do so much if no one else is staying home. Maybe to end on a high note, this is what makes me the most excited about President-elect Joe Biden. Not that he's got the best record on climate action as a US politician, but that today, far more than during the Obama presidency, there is a strong, active, and vocal climate activist community that's gonna hold him accountable, that's gonna make him do the right thing, so that government, and not just individuals, will act on climate. What's giving me hope this week? No, it's not the US election. Um, So while I was in Greece, one of my big fears was being there two weeks as a vegan, that I would basically be eating olives and bread the whole time. And I was so happy that that wasn't the case, and it was mostly because of two lovely Greek women who really went the extra mile to cook amazing vegan food, even though I was the only vegan in the group the first week and the only not-cheating vegan the second week. The place that I stayed, our hostess, Lena, she found a recipe for vegan pancakes and another recipe for vegan muffins that she made multiple times and really worked on to make sure that they tasted good so that even the non-vegans really liked the pancakes. We went every night to a taverna for dinner that had several pretty good uh, vegan options, but as it became apparent that I was gonna be there a while, the owner of the taverna she started offering really creative vegan specials. So I remember I'd been there maybe eight days and I was debating maybe ordering calamari. And I got into the taverna and right when I sat down, the waitress came up to me and she said, hey, just so you know, we have a new vegan special. And that warmed my heart so much. And it was so meaningful in a way that this woman couldn't have known Um, So I I ended up telling her later that she helped me stay on my vegan diet because she made food that I could eat that was delicious. So these two women are giving me hope this week and showing me that transition is, is really possible. This podcast is a labor of love. And you can show me you care by telling me why you listen at Lisa at MyClimateDiet.org. Thanks to David from Quince for letting me use his wonderful music. And if you want to stay up to date, follow me on Twitter at Lisa pettibone. And don't forget to rate My Climate Diet on Apple Podcasts that makes it easier for other people to find me and start their own climate diet. Because if everyone went on a climate diet, it wouldn't be the end of the world.